Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Quick talk. Fast talk. Street talk. Talk radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham. Speaking common sense unto the nation. On talk radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's Christmas week, ladies and gentlemen. Here's hoping that you had a weekend filled with joy, with friends, with family, with wine, with camaraderie. And maybe even some cheese. And if you didn't, then why not? We are here with you at Talk Radio for the duration, for however long it takes, holding the government to account and holding your hands as we walk through the ever more confusing corridors of government policy. This morning, Dominic Raab has been busy denying that Boris Johnson had a wine and cheese party, despite the presence of wine, cheese, glasses and a distinct lack of work-related equipment in the Downing Street Garden last year. And for those of you that think it isn't important, just bear in mind that at that time, We were not allowed to mingle inside or outside, where funerals could not be properly attended, weddings could not be held really, and workmates couldn't go to the pub after work whether they wanted to or not. Now it may well be that you have a beautiful place of work, it may well be that your place of work has a nice garden, it may well be that you can even sit around at somebody else's expense drinking wine that somebody else paid for, eating cheese that somebody else paid for, being paid a salary by the taxpayer. It might well be that you're in that sort of job, In which case, you probably had a party every day because that's what the civil service do. We're beginning to see, ladies and gentlemen, how this government is run, like many other governments, for the people in it. Not for the people, not by the people, not even with the people's best interests at heart. But no, these people sitting in that garden, how many of them do you think actually earn a living privately? Hmm, probably none. How many of them actually paid for the wine, do you think? None of them. And even pay for the cheese? No. Think any of them put some expenses in as a result because they were working so hard? Surprised they didn't give themselves a round of applause. The problem here, ladies and gentlemen, is not Boris Johnson. It is not wine and cheese. It is not Downing Street. It is not a garden. It's not a bench. The point is this. They're done. They're dusted. They're finished. We should help them on their merry way into oblivion because before they cause any more damage to this great nation of ours. I think it's time we told Boris Johnson once and for all, just get lost, Boris. Just get out. Take your wife with you. Take your dog with you. Take your wallpaper with you. And take all of those other bozos that you appointed to jobs that are paid for by me because you think they're very good at what they do. Because let me tell you this, none of them are. None of them are worth a fag end. 0344 499 
1,000. Worse than that, of course, here are the facts. There are 104 people in hospital with Omicron. So far, 12 of them have died. Meanwhile, they're talking about locking down the nation. Meanwhile, they're saying there could be 3,000 in dead. Could be 3,000 in their hospital beds by tomorrow. They might all be all full of Omicron. They just think it might happen. It turns out now that Sage have admitted over the course of a very fascinating interview uh, with the Spectator uh, editor, a man uh, by the name of Fraser Nelson, that they only do modelling based on the worst case scenario. They don't bother doing modelling on the best case scenario. They don't bother doing modelling on what might happen that might be good. They only do modelling on what might happen that might be bad. Well, I've been telling you that since the dawn of time. You should have known that since the beginning, right? If you listen to the Independent Republican Mike Graham on talk radio, you would know how useless this government is, how they've lied to us, how they have never, ever told the truth, and how now they seek to use fear to control us even more, even longer into the new year. Well, I've had enough, quite frankly. Sick to death of it, am I? So is Lord Frost. He's gone. He doesn't believe that the government is even conservative anymore. We'll be talking to Kate Hoey, Baroness Hoey, a woman who's very sensible and who will have plenty to say about the Brexit negotiations that Lord Frost will no, no longer now be part of. And what happens next? 0344 499 1000. Peter Hitchens is here as well. We'll get his latest take on the events of the last few days and why he's terribly worried that Tony Blair might make a reappearance. Surely not. We can't get any worse than we are, can we? Jamie Jenkins will also he- be here to check in with his dismissal of the official figures currently being spouted by Downing Street. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. If you're out and about shopping, travelling, driving, simply drumming up some business for yourself because the government's busy trying to shut it down, don't even mention Chris Whitty to me. He's off the radar. He's off the Christmas list, that's for sure. 0344 499 1000. You listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Cheers. Are we having a party? No. I'll tell you why we know we're not having a party. Because, one, we don't have any wine or cheese. We also don't have a baby here. Uh, and my wife isn't here either. So I'm pretty sure this is not just a business meeting, but it's a radio show. How do I know that? There's a microphone here. Uh, I'm speaking into it and it is broadcasting my voice around the world. It says the home of common sense behind me. That's what it is. That's where we are. What I wouldn't say to you is look at you straight in the face and say, well, the thing is, look, I'm wearing a suit. So therefore, I can't possibly be at a party. That's what Dominic Raab actually said. He doesn't think you can go to a party in a suit. (laughs) Dear, dear. Let's talk to Baroness Kate Hoey and get some sense on board. Uh, Baroness Kate, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I mean, forgive me for being slightly, shall we say, tongue-in-cheek there at the start of the show, but it's a bit difficult to take any of this seriously now, isn't it? Well, I have to say it has become a bit uh, uh, laughable and you just wonder every hour what, what next is mm. going to come out about how the, uh, on the whole, the civil service and, 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 and people have been behaving. I, I, I didn't find the quiz thing uh, a week or so ago too much of an issue because no. I think we all had quizzes and things, but... Um, and, and, you know, I, I think to be fair, and, and perhaps it might be good to be slightly fair, you know, I, I've been in Dining Street and, and clearly there is, you know, the garden is used an awful lot as, as a working place. I remember having to meet Tony Blair sitting at his table in the garden yeah. and that was the meeting was held there because it was a warm day and he was working outside. Um, I think it's the, it's the group of people in the background. I don't think, to be honest given that it's his home as well. There was anything wrong with the Prime Minister being out with his wife and newly born child 
and talking to a, you know some one or two because uh, they seem to be reasonably distanced. But I think it's the group of people. But you know, I, it's isn't it ridiculous that we're getting into this kind of situation where we're having to, to kind of scrutinise every single photograph of every. But this is the point. Figure. This is my. This is kind I mean, of. This it's is the kind point. Of, yes. This is kind of my point. I mean, I don't really care whether it's a party. I just wish they stop denying that it's a party. You know, you know, very clearly what is happening yeah. here uh, is that it's the end of the day. They've decided to carry on probably as the business of government and the business of, of, of news tends to do. You don't really ever switch off. You know, you're always talking. You're always having a conversation. But if you invite your wife and your child and you're having a glass of wine, you know, I'm sorry, that does not constitute to me a working meeting. It constitutes something yeah. that, that, that might have happened after a working meeting. And I don't even care if you do it. But the only reason people do care is because they couldn't do it at the same time. Well, I, I mean, I think I think what this also shows is that during the whole lockdown, people who had lovely gardens, had 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 lots of opportunities to work at home well, actually had quite a reasonable time. The real problem was for people who had no no garden, no balcony, nothing, and were stuck at home and couldn't have gone and had wine and cheese with any of their friends if they'd really wanted to. So there's a lot of hypocrisy around, of course, on this, because I think many people will be examining, well, they probably won't be examining their consciences, but they'll be thinking, oh, well, right enough, we did that. Do you remember when we had so-and-so in and we sat in the garden? So I think, I think all of it really just shows just how... How as a country we manage to get ourselves into a situation where we lock down everybody and where we might even be, even be contemplating doing it again. I think it will prove this time that it just won't work. Well, I mean, let's also remember what happened since the last time I was on the air. We're only talking about Friday to Monday, right? When I left on Friday, Simon Case was still in charge of doing the investigation into Partygate, uh, which is the first party on uh, December the 18th, which shouldn't have happened last year. Uh, It now turns out that he stepped aside from that job because he'd forgotten that he had his own party. And you just think, you know, what if this becomes some kind of ludicrous rabbit in in, in the headlights type sort of Alice in Wonderland scenario where we're just going to go round and round and round further and further underground until we find out that we've reached the bottom and there's nothing there. Well, I, you know, I think also this definition of the word party is probably what they're making excuses for. I mean, I, I have to say my idea of a party is not is not really any of the pictures that I saw. No. But, you know, the, the reality is that the word party has been used. And now, of course, they have been hung by their own petard. And we will, we will um, you know, to, to get a new senior civil servant doing it is is uh, still probably not going to make a lot of people feel that they're really going to get to the bottom of it. No, I think that is the problem. Let's talk a bit about the next thing that happened over the course of the weekend, and that oh, yeah. was, of course, the resignation of Lord Frost. Now, uh, depending on which side of the fence you're on, uh, it's either uh, a very, very bad development for Boris Johnson, yet another very, very capable cabinet minister basically bolts because he doesn't like his policies, Two, it obviously will have an impact on the negotiations over Brexit. Um, but I think the problem is, is it's yet more, as in and of itself, nothing to be terribly worked up about but as the whole becomes bigger you know this is another big part of it well i i personally think this is a very very serious thing to have happened lord frost was one of the few ministers who really did genuinely understand the protocol and what was happening in northern ireland he'd visited there quite a lot he'd Mm. been talking to businesses he anyone new coming in now is going to have to get up to speed and i just can't imagine liz trust actually really with all the other jobs she has taking this very seriously. And my fear is that Lord Frost, who obviously gave lots of reasons for leaving and didn't actually 
give Northern Ireland in the protocol as one of the reasons. Yeah. But I'm absolutely certain that he knew that things were not going the way he had hoped. I'm pretty certain that he wanted to invoke Article 16 in November and then was stopped doing so mm. by um, senior sources, i.e. in the end, the Prime Minister probably thought this we're not this isn't worth it at this time. So Liz Truss now is coming in, and I'm afraid the Foreign Office, I don't have a lot of confidence in our Foreign Office in terms of its attitude to Northern Ireland, to the Union, and to the whole, they're also, they're huge closeness still to the European Union. Yeah. And of course, Liz Trust started off as a remainer, to be fair, she has worked very, very hard getting, you know, these trade trade agreements. But, um, you know, underneath, I, I want someone, I wanted a government that was supposedly to get Brexit done, to have people who are really fighting our cause from a point of view of knowing that they believed in Brexit, mm. that they realised that this could be a wonderful thing for our country. And I worry now that we're we're not really getting the full benefits of leaving the European Union. And this, this Lord Frost resignation is very, very, I think, disappointing yeah. to a lot of people in Northern Ireland. It worries me. And it feels a little bit sort of... Um tired doesn't it it feels as though the job is not quite finished that everything is a little bit untidy at the back end of the bus you know where we're sort of driving down the road towards global britain but there's something dragging behind and we can't quite you know sort that out yes well it it just seems as if in the last short while the last few months the prime minister has really lost having a grip of everything um, not, I mean, my concern about all those people who go on about getting rid of Boris um, is actually who do you put in his place? Um, and, you know, when you look around, I think one of the two reasons why there will not be a leadership election, in my view, is, first of all, of course, COVID and, and the pandemic and the fear and the worry that, you know, having to, to be seen to go into an election campaign for a leader would look really, really selfish and, and wrong. But also, of course, there isn't a, there isn't someone that I can see the hundred or so really strong Brexiteers rallying around, um, and I can't see a, a leadership candidate at the moment coming through that can really unite the party again. If if that's what they're worried about mm. after, of course, the by election. Although I think that by election result might, you know, by elections are very strange, um, and and clearly uh, a lot of Labour voters switch to Lib Dems simply to get. The conservative out or not to get this conservative yeah. elected so i'm not too i don't think the by-election will shape too much um policies of, of 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 what the government's doing although it should because a lot of the things that lord frost said in his letter i think a lot of grassroots conservative mm. supporters and labor supporters who went to conservative in the red wall seats yeah would actually agree with them about, you know, net zero, the oh, th- Yeah, and, I, and, and, I think, and I think that is large, uh, becoming a larger and larger distraction for Boris Johnson in that it's not just the people of uh, conservative voting uh, practices who are upset. There are people who voted Tory for the first time who are not happy. There are people in his own party who are not happy. There's people like Steve Baker talking about a return to proper conservative values. Lord uh, Frost has now added his voice to those. You know, we'll come back to this in a moment and we'll take a little short break, Baroness Harry. Uh, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Baroness Harry, of course, of Lyle Hill and Rathlin, uh, talking a great deal of common sense. The kind of people that we need in Parliament and in government are people like Kate Hoey. What we don't need are blusterers, what we don't need are liars, what we don't need are people who cover their backsides every five minutes trying to tell you something uh, isn't a duck, right? Because if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's a duck, okay? 
Whether you've got wine and cheese with it, it's still a duck. Whether you've paid for it, it's still a duck. Whether you think it doesn't look like a duck to you, it's still a duck. Do you see what I'm saying? This is Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Peter Hitchens will be joining us a little bit later on in the show with his take on what's going on. Jamie Jenkins uh, will be here as well. We'll also be talking about that remarkable exchange on uh, social media over the weekend between Fraser Nelson, uh, the editor of The uh, Spectator, uh, and a member of the Sage Spy M group in which they talked about modelling, how modelling is put together, how modelling is arrived at, how decision-making is is, uh, made in government, and how the modelling is so important and crucial to the decisions that are made inside of Downing Street and how flawed that particular system is. We're talking to Baroness Kate Hoey uh, of Lylehood and Rathlin. Uh, Baroness, um, in terms of um, what happens now, you were saying that Liz Truss and the Foreign Office may not be exactly the same uh, in terms of the attitude they have towards the Brexit negotiations. Do you think that the EU will be pleased at this development that Lord Frost is gone? Oh, I'm absolutely certain they'll be pleased. And we've already seen that coming through from the Irish government, who sometimes are used as a kind of proxy for yeah. the whole EU, uh, welcoming it very much. The, um, uh, because I think, I think the EU realised that when they were dealing with Lord Frost, he did call a spade a spade and he was very direct. And in all his statements afterwards, he would always say that the real difficulties, you know, he did questions this week in the, the House of Lords on mm. Thursday, was absolutely no sign that he was leaving and indeed he made some very very robust responses to um, members who were asking you know the kind of remainer type lords who were always talking about rejoining he made some um, some very strong comments about how the protocol was not working and how the eu had not really been listening so that's what i think they would be pleased about uh I mean, my genuine worry about Liz Truss is not that she's not probably going to do, you know, a a job of trying to sort things out, but that she has so much else on. Now, the number two who's been appointed to do Europe, um, Chris Heaton-Harris, he was someone who I worked with and was uh, someone who who believed in Brexit. But the problem is he will be only able to do certain things. Uh, He won't have this sort of status of being in the cabinet the way that uh, Lord Frost was. And I'm I'm just worried because I think people in Northern Ireland were prepared to give Lord Frost just that little bit of extra time because they really felt he understood it and he did want to change the protocol and get out of the protocol. But now I think there will be a lot of people in Northern Ireland and, and, and I'm there now and, and a lot of people will be saying clearly, you know, just being nice and polite doesn't work. It's no. not getting us anywhere. We're just being put into the long grass. And I think that's going to be very worrying because it will mean, I think, that you know those community leaders and all of us who've tried to stop people getting really angry will, will now find it much more difficult in the new year. Yeah. And where does Boris now take his party? Because, um, as we were saying just before the break there, you know, there are people assailing him now from all sides. I mean, I actually heard Geoffrey Clifton Brown MP this morning saying our job now is to prop up Boris Johnson. Uh, so obviously the perception inside of the party 
uh, in Parliament at least, is that Boris Johnson needs supporting. He needs propping up because he's basically lost the dressing room. Um, he's lost mm. all but the most loyal uh, of his uh, of his supporters and those in government and those in cabinet. Um, but the bulk of, of what sort of got him to where he is, i.e. The, the, the right wing is the 1922 committee crowd, you know, they've all kind of given up the ghost, haven't they? I think I think part of Boris's problem was he tried to be too nice to those people who had never liked him and had actually never voted for him, never supported him, hated the fact that he got Brexit done. I think they now are the ones who are coming out. You know, if you hear the people on the on the on the airwaves, people like Sir Roger Gale, who's always had uh, you know really uh, anti Boris, and those people who hated the fact that we've left the European Union. I just don't think you can divorce that from some of the people who are criticising. But then, of course, the people who genuinely were his supporters and campaigned for him mm. to become prime minister within the you know the ERG and other people, um, the, the European Reform Group within Parliament and the Steve Bakers. I mean, they are feeling now that that all their support and all their their campaigning for him, he has not delivered on the way he felt they felt he would be as prime minister yeah. and the way he was when he was campaigning. He's a great campaigner and he said brilliant things. People believed that it would happen. Yeah. And of course, for all sorts of reasons, and you know, we can't take away the fact that COVID did change a lot of things, his illness, all of those kinds of things. But nevertheless, that's not good enough when it comes to being the leader of the country. No, it really isn't. And Kate, I mean, you've worked closely with Boris when he was in the mayor's office. Uh, you, you were involved very much in the organisation of 2012 London and all of that. Um, I mean, does there come a point with Boris where he basically kind of reaches the point of no return and he has to move on and do something else? Because it strikes me that his MO, politically speaking, has been that he's never had a job this big. He's had plenty of sort of high profile jobs and he's had plenty of high profile positions, but he's never had anything this big where the buck literally stops with him and he has to do something. And I worry that he can't get out of this now. Well, I think I think that is that is the real issue. You know, how does he make decisions? Is he only making decisions because someone, the last person speaking to him, he agrees with or he's listening too much to to um, civil servants with a particular angle. Uh, I don't think he's had a very good team around him in the last year or so. And I think that that really needs to be beefed up and changed because mm. he has still got a, a window of opportunity, absolutely, to put things right, to recreate some of that, that fervour and feeling that there was when he got elected. Um, I mean, my personal um, uh, advice to him would be to actually get stuck into the European Union and mm. stop the nonsense of the way the French are treating us and the, and the way the fishing issue has been treated yeah. and the way Northern Ireland has been treated and start standing up for the country that he actually said he wanted to take back control yeah. for. Because he still um, has, I I mean, he still, he still has a, lot. a lot of people in this country still believe in Boris Johnson, but that belief is ebbing uh, by the hour, literally. Um, and the more he hunkers down, mm. the more he continues to deny things which are blatantly true, the less that's going to work for him. I, I absolutely agree. I think he should be, you know, what he still has a sort of charisma about him uh, that has that made people who'd never voted Conservative in their life vote for him. And a lot of it was tied in, of course, with the European Union. Yeah. So, I, that, you know, I feel he really has to go back to that idea. And because at the same time as we're talking now about him and about 
um, what's going wrong with leaving, you know, why we haven't got all the advantages of leaving. There's some people behind the scenes, you know, the usual suspects who are actually beginning to think of, well, maybe we can rejoin. And, you know, that that is something that, you know, I just dread to think mm. what would happen to this country if that became a, another big battleground of those who wanted to rejoin. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think it will happen, but I think Boris needs to get out there and be much, much better about getting yeah. the message across that leaving has meant changes that will happen in this country and he's going to make them happen. Yeah, he has to stop hiding, no question about it. Have a great oh. Christmas, Baroness. Thank you very much indeed. Good to talk yes. to you. Hopefully, Happy Christmas to you, Mike. And I'll Thank see you. you hopefully in the new year for a glass of something or other warming uh, and indeed uh, celebratory because we need to be celebrating in this country. We've got a great country here. We've got a great deal to be grateful for. We've got a great deal to be happy about. We've got our families. Uh, we've got the people that love us. We've got the people around us that we care about. We don't need the government interfering in messing that up we don't need the government telling us what we can't do for christmas we certainly don't need the government locking us down in january and what we do need is a bit of honesty a bit of integrity and just quite frankly a bit of decency from a government that was elected by the majority of people in this country to let us run our own lives that is quite a simple thing surely for anyone to understand boris stop hiding behind carry stop hiding behind the government stop hiding behind downing street investigations Get out there, show us what you can do and do it and stop being a complete and utter waste of space. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We do not fold, that we do not give in, that we do not turn turtle in any way, shape or form towards this government because we need to hold their feet to the fire, not least because of the way that things are done. We know all about the parties. We know all about uh, the lies. We know all about the various different uh, warnings that we get given every so often. Sajid Javid still says he won't rule out a lockdown over Christmas. He still says he won't rule out a two-week circuit breaker. He still says uh, that Sage are quite right to suggest that it could be as many as 3,000 people a day going into hospital. Well, it could be. I'd like to see the government outlaw the words might and could and only issue statements based on fact not projection, not modelling. Because at the weekend, we learned from Fraser Nelson, who's a fascinating man, a guy that we know quite well here at the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, is a very, very fine journalist, an editor, of course, of The Spectator, amongst other things. He's also a columnist for The Daily Telegraph. He's written in The Telegraph today about a remarkable exchange that took place over the course of the weekend. And if you were on in any way um, uh, social media at the weekend, or even if you were just not under a rock, you would have seen an exchange between um, Mr. Fraser Nelson and Professor Graham Medley. Now, Graham Medley is with the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Now, last week, last weekend, I should say, they published some rather grim Omicron scenarios. Now, the conversation went something like this. Fraser said to this guy, so when you talk about models and you talk about modelling, what is it that you use to make those models work? And basically, the professor more or less confessed to the fact that I've known for many years and I've known for much of this pandemic is a series of uh, pieces of information are put into a machine and that machine then regurgitates all of those pieces of information. It comes out the other end uh, with a likely scenario. Now, it comes as no great surprise to me that those likely scenarios are produced by putting in what can only be described as bad numbers. So, for example, if you said 100 people are going to get on a bus with COVID, what's going to happen when they get off at the other end if another 100 people get on? 
And then you can come up with a variety of different reasons why it might be a really, really bad thing because all the other 100 people might come off as well. 200 people will come off with COVID. That means we've got COVID doubling at a rate of, 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 of days. We're still hearing people on the news saying, oh, the, the rates are doubling every two days. Well, if they were doubling every two days, surely we'd have about 5 million infections by now, wouldn't we? Let's talk to Dr. Tony Hinson, retired surgeon, uh, and get his view. Dr. Tony, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I have to just apologise for my appearance. I've just left the gym. Oh, don't worry. Listen, I'm still very happy for you. You can get to a gym. They haven't shut it yet because, uh, you know, you might as well make hay while the sun shines. Um, I would like to apologise for my appearance but, because I haven't been to the gym. <laughs> but that's another story. Um, what about this, right? I mean, I was not surprised. I've been saying this for a very long time, that these characters in Sage who come up with these models, the only thing you know about a model is you only get out from a model uh, in a computer what you put in. And if you continually put in, you know, negative numbers and bad figures and things that would suggest that terrible things are going to happen, then that's what's going to come out the other end, right? Exactly. And in fact, there are plenty of very good figures that they could now put into that model. Mm. If we look at currently what's happening in South Africa, for instance, in their, in their previous waves of COVID, patients were staying in hospital an average of eight days. Mm. That is now down to two days. That's not in the model. If you look at how many patients previously coming into hospital in South Africa needed oxygen, it was 100%. That is now down to 10%. This is a much milder disease and no account is taken of that. If we look back at some of their previous predictions, and of course they always deny that they're predictions, they call them scenarios, they yeah. call them all sorts of things, but they won't say they're predictions. But, of course, the public and politicians look at them as predictions. And if they're not predictions, what is the value in them at all? But if we just go back as far as September, they were predicting by October 6,000 admissions a day to hospital. Just, just a month later, they were predicting that. And it turned out to be no more than 1,000. They were out by a factor of six, yeah. just predicting a month ahead. If we look at all the predictions we get in the red book from the budget, every prediction has an upper limit, a lower limit and a central prediction. It should be same for these predictions they're giving. Every single one of their predictions has been wrong and they're always wrong on the pessimistic side yes. by a long way. I think for an awful, an awful lot of people, what I suppose was the surprising admission, and this, I suppose, is what uh, Fraser Nelson was able to wheedle out uh, of Professor Graham Medley, uh, which was that basically they're only really doing the modelling that they're asked to do. And by and large, the modelling that they're asked to do is sort of worst case scenario modelling, even though it's not characterised as that. Um. I don't think we have any evidence to suggest that that is what they're asked to do. Um, I would have thought they're asked for a range of um, possibilities. And if politicians aren't asking for a range of possibilities, then that is absolutely negligent. Mm. I would say we should be continuing on on what is the central reasonable prediction. There should be preparations kept for what is the worst possible outcome. And so far, that has never been the worst possible outcome. It's always way better than that. 
Well, this is interesting, right? Let's let's look at what the actual exchange was. J.P. Morgan, one of the big financial organisations that runs the world, if you want, for want of a better phrase, um, were doing their own kind of um, cost-benefit analysis because what we do know, for example, is Wall Street companies always like to see into the future in order to guide what their investment advice is going to be for their clients. Now, they said this. Evidence from South Africa suggests that Omicron infections are milder, and it said this, this should adjust the model, and COVID hospital numbers end up at just a third of the January peak. So this Omicron wave would be manageable without further restrictions, right? So Fraser Nelson picks up on this, says to Professor Medley, wouldn't that be a good thing to actually say while giving your scenario? He says, what would be the point of that? Well, you go, well, the point of that would be to suggest that actually your doomsday scenario is less likely to be the case than this scenario, which would effectively mean lockdown isn't necessary. I think there's a lot of people in SAGE that are basically pushing their own political agenda. Mm. And I have to say, I struggle with Professor Medley's name because I keep thinking for some reason of Victor Meldrew. <laughs> and maybe he would be better to be put in charge of SAGE. Well, I mean, you might as well have Victor Meldrew in charge of SAGE at this point, because when we hear, for example, this repeated figure that there could be 3,000 people a day being uh, admitted to hospital if we do not have a further lockdown, you're left with a kind of feel, a sunken feeling, aren't you? Because you're going, well, hang on a minute. What's based on what exactly? Oh, based on Mr. Medley's um, medley of bad news. Well, I think even if what they say is true, there is no evidence whatsoever to suggest that lockdowns would make any difference to any of these predictions. All lockdowns do, I'm afraid, is build up a massive wait and list for the NHS. Huge numbers of patients that don't know they've got cancer, huge mental health issues, children not getting their schooling. There's no positives from lockdowns and there is still no proper cost benefit analysis has been published, even though the government were ordered by the court to publish that data by the end of November. Mm. It still hasn't turned up. And I guess it hasn't turned up because it doesn't look good. Well, that's the problem. And until and uh, uh, we've got proper evidence, and I know that, you know, we've heard this before. Oh, well, the thing is, the government has to act before they get the evidence, because last time they acted after they got the evidence and it was too late. Well, actually, was it too late? You know, the fact is, is that, you know, we have to see everything in a different light now don't we we have to see omicron in a different light to the way we saw the delta variant we have to see the new year as a new year not just a repeat of 2021 where we locked down uh, for the best part of the first five months of the year you know the government cannot do that to people it cannot do that to school children it cannot cause further pain and suffering to nhs people on waiting lists you know there's too much at stake now to just pretend that everything's the same as it was last year well, I think there are two things to say. The first of all is that every single variant that's come along so far has been less lethal than the previous one. Mm. So the case fatality rate for Delta was about half a percent. It looks as though the case fatality rate for this new Omicron variant is about a quarter of one percent. Now, that is less than influenza. The other thing is, how can people in government who make these rules expect anyone to obey these rules when they don't obey them themselves. Now, they're not ignoring the rules because they are reckless people. 
they're ignoring the rules because they know the rules don't make any logical medical sense and they make no difference. Mm. That's why they've ignored the rules. So they can't expect other people to follow the rules that they've been flouting all the way through. And that, of course, is the massive problem that they now face, because having done all that and now that we see what they've done and nobody's willing to buy the, the pig in the poke any longer. Dr. Tony Hinton, thank you very much indeed. This is the problem that we now face, ladies and gentlemen. People out there are not interested. I want to hear from you, though, because I want to know what's going on. If you're out shopping, how busy is it? If you're out on the roads, how quiet is it? I'm told that Heathrow is absolutely jumping with people trying to escape uh, and get away for the Christmas break. I'm told also um, that some shops are quite busy, but most of them are completely and utterly deserted. What I can tell you is that coming into work this morning, uh, it was incredibly quiet on the roads, incredibly quiet on the trains as well. People are staying home. People are listening to Chris Whitty and somehow deciding that they shouldn't go out because it might be dangerous. Well, hang on a minute. The government's telling everybody to get boosted. The government's saying, if you get boosted, everything's going to be fine. But then they say, but you shouldn't meet anyone apart from when you get boosted. Then you can meet as many people as you want. Get as many boosters as you can. But that still won't help you because we'll still have to lock you down in the new year because that won't be safe. So can we have a bit of logic, please, from some people? Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Peter Hitchens coming up very shortly. Uh, Angela says the exchange between Fraser Nelson and the Sage member which highlighted what we were all thinking. Garbage in, uh, garbage out. James says uh, the 10.30 News said around 10 cabinet members are resisting scientific advice uh, in inverted commas. To be fair, they're resisting the advice of some scientists. The wording makes a huge difference. There are plenty of scientists with brilliant credentials who would resist as well. Uh, I think that's absolutely right. Um, um, Joe Public says, I've worked 35 years in heavy engineering, aerospace, NHS, retail and social services. Never have staff met in a garden with wine and cheese for a meeting. All those years I've been in the wrong job. Well, there you go. I mean, the fact remains, right? And the fact, one of the things that I think is really grinding people's gears is not so much that, you know, people get together, people work together. They might occasionally have a drink after work. You have to remember when this was happening. This was happening in the first lockdown before the opening up in July of the pub business, for example, where people could go out again. I know it was July the 4th because I know we had a pub show which we celebrated freedom with, right? Did it at the Horseshoe, around the corner from the office here. Uh, it was very well attended. It was a lovely day. It was a beautiful day because people were so excited to be able to mix with each other, to see each other, to go out again. The government, of course, didn't have such restrictions. They did what they wanted and that's what we know they did. In the end, it doesn't really matter a fag end whether they were having wine or cheese or sitting there with babies or sitting there with wives. Certainly, Carrie Johnson has no business being at a business meeting that Boris Johnson's having because surely to heavens, she's his wife. She doesn't work for him. She doesn't have a security clearance to be at high level meetings. She doesn't have the right to sit there and pontificate on government policy. We didn't elect her and neither did the baby. What was the baby doing? Huh? Having some cheese, wine, maybe? I don't know. I know they start early, the Johnson family. It's just not on. The fact is, is they cannot continue uh, to, in any, uh, what can only be described as, urinate down our backs and tell us it's raining. We're not having it anymore. Let's talk to Paul, who's in Rotherham. Hello, Paul. Hello, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Not at all, man. What can I do for you? Well, I'm a restaurateur in Sheffield, uh, on one of the busiest streets in Sheffield, Ecclesall Road. And the last couple of weeks, 
has been disastrous mm. for us. Yeah. And on Saturday night, I walked up and down Ecclesall Road looking at all the bars and restaurants, yeah. and they were virtually empty. Mm. Now, when we've got our government and the opposition that vote for these new restrictions, I've asked my local MP, Paul Bloomfield, why, before you voted for it, did you not say, well, this will impact various sectors, not least the hospitality sector, what measures are we going to put in place to support them? Mm. Because we know it's going to be an extremely difficult time. And for us, we're about 40% down on yeah. a normal month when we should be about 50% up, yeah. which is a massive hit. Sure. And I said, why have you not asked the question? Can you please explain to me what measures you'll put in place before I vote for this? Mm. But they don't do that. They just vote for it. And then it's, oh, ups a days, we've just destroyed hospitality. And it's not just me, yeah. it's the whole of hospitality and the supply chain. Right. And I spoke to my staff on Saturday because they're extremely worried. And these are low-end earners. And we just don't know what the future holds, Mike. Mm. Well, isn't it ludicrous that you're sitting here talking to me, Paul, having already suffered at the hands of this government, not even knowing whether you're going to be open in January? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> The, the uncertainty is just a killer. Yeah. I mean, I looked at our reservation book for this coming week, yeah. and we've got nothing. We've got no one booked in this week. No one at all? Nobody. Jeez. Nobody. I think we've got two people booked in on New Year's Eve, I think it is. Right. And normally, what yeah. would you be doing New Year's Eve? Full house, presumably? Oh, we're a 100-seat restaurant, yeah. Mike. You know, the place would be, you know, absolutely... Packed. So you're talking thousands? Oh, high high five figures yeah. that, that we're going to lose just in December alone. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've been operating for the last two years under the various COVID restrictions. We opened as takeaway when they said we could open as, uh, as takeaway, mm. you know, early last year. In all of that time, Mike, I swear to you, on my life, we've had... Two cases of COVID, full stop. That's within staff and customers. Right. And those two cases were both staff members and they were both contracted at home. Right. We've had not one ping on the restaurant in two years. So if if the safety, it almost says to you that the safest place to be mm. is in my restaurant yeah. rather than being at home. Yes. Well, I mean, it's very clear that most people actually catch COVID at home. Or in hospital. Yeah, or in hospital, yeah. But, I mean, by far and away, outside of the hospital is in the home. Yeah, yeah. You know, they've never had had any proof that hospitality is a a spreader of COVID at all, ever. No, it just just seems to me that it's a concerted effort on on the part of the powers that be just to completely close down hospitality to yeah. stop people going out because when people go out they're socialising they're talking about different topics mm. you know where, where if people are stuck in the house all they do is, is they're just living under a, mm. a, a cloud of fear depression and uncertainty yeah. and, you know and, and I just can't understand you know why is our government doing this to I know. us I know it makes no sense to me absolutely makes no sense I don't understand it because also they need the money. You know, the money that you guys generate in tax 
you know, the, the, the money that you put into the economy is extraordinarily huge. It's massive. It is, you know, it feeds the whole way through. Yeah. You know, low end, you know, but low end earners are the people that have to spend their money. Yeah. They don't, you know, they don't, they're not saving necessarily, they're spending that cash. And now, if, if, you know, if hospitality gets, gets to the stage where we're literally looking at thousands and thousands of closures, mm. then you know, the government's lost a massive amount of income. And, you know, how do you fund your NHS? Right. It's through the private sector. It's not through the public sector. Of course. What the are you going to do, Paul? I mean, can you even stay open this week? I will stay open. I will stay open. Mm. I'm not closing. No way. Mm. I mean, you know, we have online platforms, but that will in no way make up for the lack of footfall within the restaurant. It's a 100-seat restaurant, Mike. Yeah. It's not a small place. Right. You know, it's, it's a place where... I'm paying rent and rate based on a 100-seat restaurant on the busiest street in Sheffield. So it's a substantial rent and rate. Yeah. Yeah? It's not a takeaway that has a bit of a restaurant. It's a restaurant that has, a, you know, operates a little bit of a takeaway. Mm. Mm. So the business model doesn't support just just looking at online trading. No. But, you know, it, I'll be honest with you, I don't look at myself. I look at my staff and I look at the fear and uncertainty and it's not right. It's no. not right, and they shouldn't be allowed to do it. And one other thing that I would like to say, Mike, I, I, I wasn't going to mention this, but the, the early part of last year, I lost my wife, mm. and my wife was Thai. So we had the funeral here, and a sister-in-law took ashes back to Thailand. Mm. And I was due to fly out, because in Thailand, you have a 100-day ceremony, yeah. which is basically the Thai funeral after the death. Right. The day before I was due to fly, they cancelled all flights. So I couldn't go. Mm. They're having parties in Downing Street and laughing at me. And I can't go to my own wife's funeral. I carry that with me every day. Of course you do. It's not right. It's not. It's not. It needs to stop. We need to get back to normality. We need to get on with our lives. Mm. And people suffering under this. I mean, I've listened to some of the stories on your radio. And it's heartbreaking. And I'll be honest with you, Mike, I'm a tough guy. You know, I've dealt with a lot. Yeah. But this is just wearing people down. And it has got to stop. It's shocking. Paul, listen, God bless you, man. And uh, good luck. And we'll do this for you because we have to. We absolutely have to. We cannot allow this government to make people like Paul feel the way he does, right? It's disgusting, it's disgraceful, it's demeaning. It needs to end. Let's send this one to Downing Street as well. This is Talk Radio. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let us say a very good morning to Mr. Peter Hitchens. Peter, how the devil are you? Morning. Um, so here we are again. Um, Christmas week. I don't know whether you've done your Christmas shopping yet, but you better get a move on because it might be too dangerous to go out soon. Well, it might be, mightn't it? And then again, of course, it might. It might not. Be. It might not. Uh, we're full of soft verbs. Might, could, may. Yeah. Uh, all of which could be retranslated as might not, could not, and may not. And we just get this all the time now. And I have to say that the the article by Fraser Nelson over the weekend on the Spectator mm. website, uh, in which he discusses with a modeler uh, just exactly how modeling works, is extraordinarily eye-opening to anybody who's taken these predictions as if they were, uh, well, how shall I put it, as if they were predictions uh, rather than... Mm speculations which is what they are and then of course we have to add to that the other insoluble conundrum one which will never now be uh, uncovered of exactly what the the ultimate figures meant uh, when deaths were counted uh, in what in what way were they deaths caused by covid uh, particularly and uh, then the this incessant rehearsal of supposed case numbers case a serious word to do with a, an actual outbreak of disease uh, being used instead mm. to describe a, a positive test uh, in someone who, in many cases, has no symptoms. Uh, hospital admissions, again, everybody who goes into hospital is tested for COVID. So the chances are that uh, a lot of people in hospital uh, 
have uh, have COVID, and if they don't have COVID when they arrive, it's a very good place to catch it. Yeah. But is this why they are actually in hospital? Again, these things are never made clear, especially by the BBC. And again, again, I have to say this twice. The Spectator website has a fascinating article by a pseudonymous BBC journalist who dare not reveal his real name, in which he makes it quite plain exactly how a, a total bias gripped the corporation uh, right back uh, in, the, in the spring of 2020 when all this got going. I have to say three weeks to save the NHS is going to become one of those things like it'll be all over by Christmas. It looks to me as if we'll still be saving the NHS in perhaps uh, 2030 at this rate mm. uh, and with more lockdowns continuing forever. As for the NHS, again, a fascinating article by Dr. Phil Hammond in the Sunday Times yesterday demonstrates just what a threadbare state that organization is in, and not because of COVID, uh, but because of many, many years of mismanagement and, and, and political tug of wars, making it almost impossible for anyone to decide how it should work best. So all these things go on and on and on, and we're stuck hmm. uh, with this. And the, the point about Christmas openings of of restaurants is, and pubs is so, and people not going to them is so important because this is the time of year when those places make most of their profits. Yeah. And if they're deprived of it, then I really don't see how many of them can survive much longer. Uh, they've kept on and on in the hope that eventually rationality would return, but I, I don't think it's going to. No. And here we are again, the same old argument. Is this response remotely in proportion to the problem we mm. face? Before anybody says, I'm denying the existence of COVID or any such lying rubbish, absolutely not. I'm just saying, have we actually got it right? Have we said this is the correct response? Have we measured it? In, in, and, and also, is it is it indeed effective? And these mm. things are almost never discussed. And when they are discussed, the people who discuss them are slandered. So here we are in a sort of semi-totalitarian society in which only one view is really allowed yes. currency. Well, I was talking to somebody this morning about something completely different, but this applies just as easily, I think, to that. It's a bit like arguing with a Labrador. You know, Labradors understand yes and no. They don't really understand anything in between. You know, they either eat the whole chicken or they don't eat any of the chicken. And you can't show them the chicken or else they'll eat the whole thing. And you have to hide the chicken, otherwise, you know, they'll want to eat all of it. And we've now seen to have a government that are either all or nothing. You know, it's either restrictions or no restrictions. And it's like, well, maybe there's something in the between. Maybe there's something you could do which would actually be sensible. Well, you have to bear in mind here the, the, the extraordinary pressure which is on the government. I don't like to show sympathy for governments ever, but uh, look at the supposed opposition. Uh, they're fanatically in favour of all this stuff, so much so that last week they passed up an opportunity to, to actually bring the government down in a parliamentary mm. vote. They thought it was so important to vote for restricting the lives of the people and destroying business uh, that they would do that instead rather than, uh, than, than let the, the Tories tear themselves to pieces totally in public and, and actually lose the vote. That is the fascinating thing, that the, this development in which a health crisis can be used hugely to increase uh, the power of the state over the individual and indeed over the economy uh, is so appealing to the Blairite left that they would, they, they would do anything to encourage it. And the, those, the small number of people uh, in the Conservative Party who understand what's going on uh, must, I think, be terrified that uh, if things work out badly, if they make one, if put one foot wrong, then we could then have a Blairite government enforcing these things, which would which would mean, if it's possible to imagine, it would be even worse. And it is possible to imagine. You just look look at the continental countries, which are run by and large by 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 governments of the statist left. 
and the, the amount of restriction over their lives is even greater than it is here and even more incessant. So it could be worse than it is. And I think we have to recognize that, that there are elements in this government who've perhaps saved us from some of the worst of it. Not that that's much of a mm. consolation, but it, remember it could be worse. And remember that this is actually a, 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 as much about politics as it is about health, if not more so. Mm. And the, 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 there is a new politics abroad of a much, much more uh, powerful and strong and all-embracing state uh, growing, which growing among us, which seems to me to be the culmination of the, the whole Blairite project launched in 1997 of, of turning this into a different sort of country. Mm. And you've said that repeatedly over the times that you and I have been speaking and, and probably for much longer than that before that. Um, and, and it's a shockingly true statement to make, I'm afraid. But I mean, even you, presumably, Peter, would admit that at this point we all are already ruled by a massively left wing statist government, because that's what it feels like. Does it feel, oh, like, does it feel it, like we're being run by a conservative government, even of David Cameron's hue? But it's a well, David Cameron was was the heir to Blair and, and openly said so. But it's a process rather than a, a static position. Uh, we're oh. moving in that direction. The, the, the Labour Party would like us, and the Scottish Nationalists we see, would like us to move more rapidly in that direction. Uh, and what people don't see to realize is how irreversible so much of this is going to be, even if the health crisis ever comes to an end. And I have to say, I begin to doubt it. I mean, there must be an almost endless reserve of variants available. They have to switch to, to, the, to the Cyrillic alphabet next when they've run out of Greek letters. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then when that's gone, it's by no means impossible that some new virus of some kind uh, arises in some part of the world and becomes another pretext mm. uh, or indeed reason, if it is a reason, for this sort of activity. Though, again, this is the fascinating thing, that the, the response to this particular problem was unprecedented. No one had ever before resorted to these kind of measures. And you can't have a serious argument with anybody about them. Whenever you raise the point of Sweden and say, well, they didn't actually resort to, to, to the punitive and authoritarian measures which we used in this country, people say, oh, well, Sweden had worse results than the countries next door, uh, which, is, of course, is entirely irrelevant mm. because the, the, those countries are not uh, particularly comparable to Sweden. It's much more comparable to other European countries for various reasons, mm. which Anders Tegel has stated. And the outcome in Sweden, whatever you may say about it, and they, they got, as we know, the old people's homes wrong, uh, the care homes wrong. But whatever the outcome in Sweden, it wasn't measurably worse than that in those countries where strict state-imposed shutdowns of, of, of life and the economy took place. Mm. And, and therefore, what is the rationality behind this? Is there really a good reason for continuing to pursue these policies, even if... Uh, the modelling which is used to justify them is correct. Mm. Again, again, it doesn't stand up to examination, but nobody's examining it. Well, that's the trouble. And as it, as, as, it, as it is examined, you know, the answer comes back, well, we're not sure of the data. They don't say, well, the data doesn't actually show that. They just say, we're not sure. So they've now moved the, the goalposts to such an extent to say that rather than following the science, we're actually... Um, leading the science and we're hoping that when we get to point A the science will catch up with us and it will say exactly what we thought it would say uh, but if it doesn't say exactly that uh, then we'll, we'll go somewhere else well then again there's also when when the when the the what has happened in the past comes to be described who's in charge of doing the describing and uh, and, and actually setting the the the, the arrangements mm. by which the statistics are produced uh, to and, 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 and is is that a wholly impartial process? Yeah. 
uh, a question worth asking, but I would say almost impossible to resolve for, for, for reasons which are pretty obvious when you look at it. Mm. Uh, but on and on it goes, and deeper and deeper we get into this mess. And of course, the weaker the economy gets and the weaker the, the ability of individuals to support themselves as independent people gets, the stronger the state becomes. Mm. Yeah, and that is, again, um, where we currently find ourselves. We're told there's a, uh, a cabinet meeting at two o'clock. Um, I can't imagine anything good coming out of that. Um, but, I mean, is it right, do you think, to say that Boris Johnson is now assailed on all sides by those people who might be at least safeguarding some freedoms for us, you know, i.e. a combination of the backbenchers who voted against the latest uh, restrictions, a combination of fear about what happened up in uh, Shropshire North, a combination of the likes of uh, Steve Baker wanting a return to Conservative policies and people like Lord Frost resigning from the government. I mean, it's a sort of a never-ending role of shame, basically, now, isn't it, for Boris? Well, yes, it may be, but if he is chucked out, it'll be for the wrong reasons, I fear. When you look at the conservative opposition to this, so much of it is, is, is shouty and uh, slightly hysterical and not very well informed that you cringe to look at it and think, well, if this is the best that the, that the opponents of the shutdown policy can come up with in Parliament, no wonder they fail. It doesn't really have any heft. The problem is that people at the centre of politics, the, the people with the, both either with the intellect or with the authority or, with the, or even with the access to the research, they continue to stay out of it. But, but Johnson will not be removed from the leadership of the Conservative Party for being too Blairite. Uh, that's, not, that's not why he will go. The only reason they get rid of people in the Conservative Party is if they think that the, those, those people will not win elections. Uh, the problem for the Tory party is they ceaselessly grope for somebody who will win elections for them, a new Thatcher, uh, and they don't find one. They, 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 they went through Theresa May uh, who was a complete disaster. It was a long period of saying how wonderful she was. And then, then they went through Johnson, and a long period saying how wonderful he was. And it now it looks as if they're going to choose this extraordinary Liz Trust person. Yeah. Again, around whom, again, a strange cult has, has arisen, and people saying she's a, a new Thatcher. I, couldn't, I can't think of anything less likely. <laughs> and the, the woman was practically brought up at Greenham Common. She was a liberal Democrat who used to make anti-monarchist speeches. Whatever else she may or may not be, uh, she's not a new Thatcher, and, and yet they're grasping at this, and will doubtless, if they choose her, make a great thing about yeah. how wonderful she is, until she turns out not to be. The problem with the Conservative Party is it has no longer got any real reason to exist. No. And but isn't this, it, isn't this, it, isn't it, this interesting? Isn't this interesting, Peter? You are now presented with what you are told to, that you are presented with. You're no longer given a choice as to what you think. You're given a, a, a sort of instruction as to what to think. And this is why so-and-so is good and so-and-so is bad. But stay with us for a second. We'll come back to Liz Truss. I think Peter's got some very interesting things to say about all of that. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. Lots for us to do. We're talking to Peter Hitchens. Uh, we heard from a restauranter up in Sheffield early part uh, of the show in the first hour. Uh, so he's got no bookings whatsoever between now uh, and New Year's Eve. Absolute shambles. Normally he'd be making high five figures uh, over the course of just one night. Uh, in uh, around New Year. But this is where we currently are. Uh, we are in lockdown in all but name. Peter Hitchens is with us. Peter, um, you were talking there about Liz Truss not perhaps being the, uh, uh, the, the daughter of Thatcher that they're making her out to be. Um, what do you genuinely think is, is the longevity of uh, Boris Johnson at this point? I, honestly, I can't tell. These things can go on for ages and there are 
events can suddenly bring bring on disasters. I think it will depend very much on how the on how the polls go and how the Labour Party performs. As I speculated at the weekend, that Labour would ultimately reach uh, for the Blair creature again. Yes, having, uh, having found that Keir Starmer is so uh, is so much a work of carpentry and, and, and so hard to see as an inspiring uh, leader in an election, and they don't they need to make that jump if that they made with Blair, if they're, if they're to get anywhere, especially in southern England, mm. because in Scotland they're almost dead, and they've, they've lost an awful lot of their power and indeed an awful lot of their ability to raise money. So I don't think it's at all out of the question that, that they might call upon Blair again. And I, I have to say that looking at him, uh, this, this, this glinting billionaire with his strange staring eyes mm. and spending his his days and nights apparently delivering lectures to manufacturers of disinfectant. And looking at him, you can't, you can't wholly rule out the idea that if the, if the bat phone rang and they said, come back, that he wouldn't say, yes, I will. And then he'd bring the whole crew with him, mm. uh, Alistair Campbell and the, and, and the rest. Yeah, get the old band back together. Well, exactly. And people seem to long for bands to get back together. And, and, and there we might well have it. And since the, the, the population is so much enthralled to the, the what you might call the COVID ideology, uh, that they genuinely believe in many cases that government power can save them from this disease and it's serious enough for that to be justified. Uh, and that they, rather than being angry about the fact that they weren't allowed to have Christmas parties Last year, they're angry at the fact that the government secretly did have Christmas parties, uh, which is the wrong way around. If the people are in that state of mind, then they're just as crazy as they were in May 1997 when they voted in their millions for new Labour. And this could be uh, this, this could be the next step. I, don't, I just thought it, it was such a horrible nightmare when I had it that the best thing to do would be to raise it now so that people would mm. begin to think about it and maybe find ways of preventing it. But I think it's impossible. What I think is very possible, with or without Blair, is that we will end up in some kind of, 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 of Blairite horror when this government when this government finally fails, mm. and that that's what will sweep them away: mm. a Liberal Democrat revival, a Labour revival, and of course the the, the cooperation uh, of Nicola Sturgeon's SNP from across the border in return for a pledge of a new referendum mm. at a time that suits them. I I do think it's quite it's quite possible we might end up with that, and I if you look at the current state of the, of the Tory Party, it's hard to see them doing anything like as well next time as they did the last time. The, the only question is who will rush into the gap they leave? Yes. I mean, at the moment, they seem to be full of uh, uh, sort of stories of how they can't possibly replace Boris Johnson at the moment because, you know, who would you replace him with? You know, this is kind of, you know, um, almost atrophy uh, within the, the party. They don't actually want to think about bringing somebody else along. Uh, and until such time as you do that, you don't find out how good they are anyway, it seems to me. And they're sort of hiding behind all manner of fig leaves as to why they must keep Boris in place for a bit longer, because he's a winner. Well, he wasn't a winner on Thursday. And I know that it was a by-election. I know that strange things can happen, but it was a pretty big defeat. It really oh, was. Oh, I spent a lot of the 80s covering by-elections. They're, they're festivals of the oppressed in which people feel free to vote in ways they never would at general elections. And it's, it's always unwise to re read too much into them. It's if you find other trends taking place that it, it would become important. I, Johnson has, has run the, the Tory party on basically on the Corleone principle, that you, you supported wow. him and you supported him from the start and quickly and fully, uh, or you were cast into the outer darkness. 
And that will work as long as people think that he is capable of winning an election. But if deep down figures begin to come in, if the reports from the constituencies begin to come back saying this is actually costing us, then he'll go. Because whatever the Tory party is or is not, it's extraordinarily ruthless about getting rid of leaders who it thinks are losers. Uh, but I don't think that's happened yet. And as I say, knowing what I know about by-elections, it, it, it would be premature to say that that alone would do it. Mm. Uh, but all kinds of other things could happen in the new year which could, which could weaken him. If the Labour Party finds a way of projecting itself more effectively than it does now, that could also be a danger. Yeah, I mean, I can't see the Labour Party winning an election by any way stretch of, of any imagination that I could think of, I mean, even including your imagination. I do. It would be very just, difficult. Yeah, it's, I do, it's, but it's I do see difficult. a change. I, 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 I live in the only Labour constituency, I think, outside London and the south of England, for instance. Mm. Uh, that's how bad they are in, 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 in a large part of the country. Yeah. And it's a huge trouble for them to overcome that now. Yeah. Uh, but also, I mean, you are you are to, you are part of now what is Labour's constituency, which is the land of the Range Rover and the Waitrose and the, uh, you know, the Alga. I mean, that is Labour Party homeland now. Yeah, of course, the, the enormously expanded public sector in education <laughs> yes. and health, which in which the new middle class live. Yeah, I know it's, it's not, but but I, I don't uh, I, I, many of those are not necessarily natural Tory voters. <laughs> they could easily switch to the Liberal Democrats. And many of them have. I, I don't think the Tory vote is particularly solid. No, I don't think it is at all. I don't think it's solid in any way, shape or form. But listen, Peter, we're out of time. Uh, it's been a pleasure again speaking to you uh, all through the year. I imagine we'll continue to do so. Uh, whether or not we manage to find the answers is anybody's guess. But uh, I wish you a very happy Christmas and a reasonable Yuletide season. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. Yeah, very happy and blessed Christmas to you too. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much indeed. Peter Hitchens there, a very civilised man, a part of what used to be very, very civilised Britain, which is fast becoming not civilised. Good morning, Mike, says Philip. I will be spending Christmas with my sister and her family as planned, regardless of any new restrictions that might be introduced. She is just over 100 miles away, so I'll be spending a couple of days there. And that's Philip in Bournemouth. Chris in Watford says this. Mike, I work in a West End theatre. We have been told that we will take each performance day today. I could be laid off work today without pay until further notice, one week before Christmas, with only two weeks pay at the end of December. Happy Christmas, Boris. That's the reality of life for people. You can't let people's lives be run like this. You cannot. If there is going to be a lockdown, for which, as far as I'm concerned, there is clearly no justification whatsoever, there needs to be an announcement at some point or other. Today, I'm not asking you to make an announcement to that effect, but what I'm asking you to do is to get your finger out, understand that people have lives to lead, that people have families that they need to see, that people have loved ones that they haven't seen, perhaps because of last year's events. Government needs to get a grip. It needs to take a chance. It needs to be absolutely and utterly ruthless with these sage scientists and tell them where to get off, quite frankly. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The world has actually gone completely and utterly stark, staring, bonkers mad. Have you ever heard, perhaps, of a game called Quidditch? Now, if you've got children you will know precisely what Quidditch is. Quidditch is a game which was invented by J.K. Rowling when she wrote the Harry Potter books. Uh, Annick Castle is a place up in the northeast of England where they filmed the very first Harry Potter movie. Uh, and Quidditch is this game where they fly around on broomsticks uh, and play 
uh, with this kind of magical ball which gets thrown around um, and does weird things during the course of its um, of its uh, sort of being moved about. The bottom line here is is that this is a fun game and it's a fun film and it's a fun book and it is a fun phenomenon. The whole Harry Potter business has been invented, uh, monetized, made people millionaires, multi-millionaires over and over and over again, but is now, of course, at the centre of what can only be described as a rather ludicrous row about trans rights because of something that J.K. Rowling said, right, many, many m weeks and months ago. She's had people standing outside her house. She's had people doxing her address in public. She's had people basically disowning her, even those who actually she provided an entire world's worth of income to, lifetime's worth of income to. Quidditch organisations have started up because they're not quite sure of the difference between reality and fiction. They're now going to change the name of the sport. Why? To distance themselves from J.K. Rowling because of her views on, that's right, you guessed it, transgender issues. Let's have a word with Portia Berry Kilby, political commentator with Young Voices UK. Portia, very good afternoon to you. Hi, how are you? I'm all right. It's hard to believe, really, that this is actually true, this story. I mean, it doesn't really make any sense to me in any way, shape or form. You read it upside down, sideways, translate it into Sanskrit, retranslate it into ancient Mandarin. No matter which way you read it, it's nuts, isn't it? It's totally crackers. It's the idea that changing a name of Quidditch will in any way distance itself from J.K. Rowling anyway. They're still going to be playing the game of Quidditch, which J.K. Rowling created and designed in her book. Uh, so it seems a very pathetic attempt to... It's just really virtue signalling. It's trying to be woke and not really achieving much of the process. No. I mean, it comes as no surprise to me that the big sort of Quidditch organisation in the world has been started in America. Because the great thing about Americans is they can't take a joke. They don't really understand fiction versus fact. And they've actually got an organisation called US Quidditch, where people play Quidditch without actually acknowledging that you can't fly around on a broomstick. <laughs> yeah, I think the game in and of itself to play in real life is a bit ridiculous. You get grown men walking with a broom in between the legs and then trying to get a tennis ball off someone. Uh, in a yellow shirt. It's yes. a bit of a pathetic game to play, ultimately. It's hardly cricket or rugby, not even football. No. I mean, do they pretend that they're playing inside of a Harry Potter film? Do they take on the um, auspices of the characters in the movie? Or do they actually genuinely believe that Quidditch is a game which exists outside of the film genre? <laughs> I mean, thankfully, I've never played, so I don't know any people on the team yeah. it is kind of that it's very symptomatic of people who haven't been able to grow up which unfortunately is the generation that grew up with harry potter books they've just never really become full adults no so they don't want to leave that element of childhood behind yeah well, I mean, we did, we did try and get somebody from the Quidditch Association of Britain on, on the show, but unfortunately uh, they were being troubled by a Dementor, which was outside their house, and they said they couldn't come out because uh, it was too frightened. <laughs> I mean, you know, what is wrong with these people? Yeah, no, it's totally mad. And what honestly baffles me is that in Quidditch, the rules are that you can have no more than four people of any gender. So in theory, oh, really? it's a non-binary sport because mm. you can identify as whatever gender and providers there aren't four of you or more than four, then you're fine. Right. So it's surely so inclusive compared with most people anyway. Right. 
Um, I mean, are these people going to start getting worked up about the gender of various creatures inside of the Harry Potter world? Because there's an awful lot of creatures which are clearly not human, uh, which are clearly not um, either male or female and presumably are possibly of indeterminate gender. They don't seem to have got worked up about any of that. I mean, that's probably what they would like. They'd like it to not be a male or female dragon. They just want something which is none of the above. Tick box. Yeah. I mean, what about um, the various, like, the Dementors? I don't even know what sort of um, gender they are. I don't really care. It's a, it's a great show. It's a great movie. It's a great book. It's a great thing to get your children into into literature via. Um, but it's kind, of, it's kind of gone off the scale crazy, hasn't it, what's happened to J.K. Rowling? And the idea that, that she's created this entire world and the world that she's created is now being administrated by people who are rejecting her as an individual. Oh, totally. I think the backlash J.K. Rowling has faced for saying something very middle of the road sensible. She's not said anything against trans people and she's she just wants women to be recognised as women, men to be recognised as men and trans to be a separate category yeah. and not to have any prejudice against them, but simply stating biological sex against all of this backlash and... Yeah, just thrown out, <laughs> thrown under the bus. And even the the whole cast and the reunion of Harry Potter, mm. who's always missing, it's J.K. Rowling. It seems in great disservice and very intolerant. It really does. I mean, if, I mean, I'd be tempted if I was J.K. Rowling to just shut it all down and say, right, I'll tell you what, all of you people are now no longer allowed to take part in anything to do with Harry Potter. You're no longer allowed to make any money from it. You're no longer allowed uh, to, in fact, benefit in any way whatsoever from my creation and see how they like that. Yeah, I mean, that would be a start. But I think she's just genuinely a very good, decent person. Yeah. And also, it's a story, you know, that has made most of the people who are now moaning the richest beyond their wildest dreams that they could ever have been. You know, nothing could have ever done that for them. And yet they're being incredibly ungrateful, at least, at the very least, and, and actually incredibly rude at worst. Oh, absolutely. Like, so rude. And also just nonsensical. Mm. It's just the fact that someone could have a different opinion from them, they can't even entertain. They cannot fathom. It's as though they are in their own little magical world and a Dementor can't come in and J.K. Rowling is the Dementor. Mm. Amazing. And, I mean, what do you hear in your in your sort of day-to-day dealings with people? I mean, is this something that a lot of young people care about or do you think it's just the hijacking of an issue by certain you know, groups of people who have become obsessed with that one thing only? I think, unfortunately, it is becoming more of an issue for more young people. Go back 10 years ago, the amount of times this was on the radar in schools, few and far between, at least when I was growing up. But now, like, at younger people I know, uh, my, my cousin's age, and there's all of the whole agenda is infiltrating the schools and very little critical thought of it allowed. I wouldn't want to be a child in middle school, high school nowadays, not no. at all. No, I think you're absolutely right. Well, listen, good to talk to you. Thank you very much, Portia. Portia Berry Kilby, political commentator with Young Voices UK, um, seemingly making what would be generally regarded as quite a sensible point, uh, apart from those people who think that Quidditch is a real game uh, and that it should somehow be removed from the auspices of J.K. Rowling, even though she invented it as part of her literary classic, Harry Potter. Mr. Potter, I put it to you that the world has gone completely mad. Hasn't it? It's amazing. Lots of comments on this when it appears uh, on the bottom of news stories, right? Um, 
It just seems incredible that Quidditch is even the subject of an argument. As for the people that play it, who actually think that they can pretend to fly around on broomsticks because they are at seats of learning in this country and in America, tells you all you need to know about higher education, doesn't it? Indeed. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.